The following podcast is brought to you by eWin Gaming Shares. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 20% off these practical and comfortable products that Moore's Law's Dead actually uses. And also use this offer code at cdkeyoffers.com for 30% off Windows keys and die shrink for 3% off every other key on the website. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, uh, Thanksgiving hosting Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host, uh, cross cross country driver Dan. Yeah, so Dan's actually here in the Moore's Laws Dead Studio recording this episode directly next to me. We're not sure if this will manage to be a video episode, but. Uh, I guess if it is, Gerard can leave this part of the conversation in, and if it's not, you'll never know we considered doing this, but um, Dan, you drove from Massachusetts. How was the drive? Aside aside from the uh, semi that almost hit me uh, twice, pretty good. <laughs> Driving yeah. through uh, Manhattan uh, is during rush hour. Turns out isn't super fun, though. Yeah, me and um, Mary Kay tried to call you. Well, you were in rush hour in New York just to see how you were doing on the drive yesterday. And it was just like, God dang it. Yeah, I think uh, in the future when I drive, I should uh, plan my timing better so I don't hit New York at 5 p.m. I I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean. Or drive around New York. I haven't. I've driven all around like Philly, Lancaster, Portland, Maine, but I've never really. I think me. I, I have a memory of going through New York once, and it was at night, and the traffic was easy. I, I've never, I, I, I've never, yeah, I've never driven past New York at any part of the day where it would be bad. And to be clear, I didn't drive. Pa- I, I was in the middle of New York. Oh, in the city. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I, I, I never left the highway, but like, it, it, yeah, I, I was with the people that were commuting that commute from like Manhattan to Newark. Right. It's like, I don't remember the name of the road, but like we've been in, we've been in Chicago like a hundred times. It's like that highway that goes like over and through part of the city. Like I had to cross uh, George Washington Bridge, which that's that famous upper uh, two level bridge that um, everyone commutes over. Well, I'm glad you didn't die, you know, because that would have meant I had to do this by myself. So that would have sucked. Also, it wouldn't have been good to lose my brother. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you probably would have recorded it at the normal time, though, I'm assuming, right? Like, Oh, I mean, yes, nothing. I, I said those in order of importance. One, it would have been bad if we couldn't record. Two. Two, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but um, I think enough of the intro, ban- intro banter. Let me get into the opening reader mails, and we actually didn't have that many goofy or lighthearted ones to start with. So what I decided to do is actually group all of the Alder Lake questions in the beginning because I don't have really any Alder Lake news to talk about as an actual news story or in the wrap-up. And I thought, I mean, look, we talked about Alder Lake heavily on the uh, last Broken Silicon we did. That was me and you. Mm -hmm. Me and Steve talked about it heavily. I put out several videos about it. I talked about it heavily in Loose Ends. 
I let's get it we out recorded, of the way. We recorded a podcast about it. We, we did a die shrink about it as well. I, you know, it's not to say you can't submit Alderlake questions if you have a specific one. Please do if you're a supporter. You know, Moore's Law is dead. But I think I think for this one, I want to get through the Alderlake discussion as quickly as possible. Dragaholic writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. With Alder Lake launching recently, the reception has been a mixed bag as far as I can tell. It ranges from, wow, look how much better it is than the 11900K, to, well, can it even compete with the 5950X and 3D variants coming soon? My question is, then, is Intel, in quotes, back? Do we, the consumers, win? Will the next few years of do-it-yourself desktop possibly be golden like Golden Cove? Thanks to anyone answering and reading this question, including the patrons. Everybody, have a beautiful day. Thanks for writing in, Chagaholic. I mean, I you know, I'll, I, let's answer the last part of it first. Dan, is Intel back? Um, I think as of right now, yeah, they're they have a product that's competitive, and depending on who you are, it's the best product to buy. I, I think that means they're back. Right. I mean, I would directly, again, like I have, compare this to Zen 1. Zen 1, AMD was back. They went from having eight cores that used double the energy and barely competed with Intel's i3s most of the time, uh, and multi-threading barely even a quad-core i5. It'd actually really lose if it was a Skylake one. Mm-hmm. Um, to just raffle-stopping everything on desktop in multi-threading performance and coming close in single-threading except for the very top end of the Intel product stack. You know, was Intel still in charge back then, though? Yes, and I mean, even if you think about it, 10-core Broadwell E, AMD didn't have Threadripper out right away, and the top Skylake Xs that used eight that had like 18 cores, uh, I don't remember when they got to 18 cores on HEDT, but I know they launched that 10-core that used a stupid amount of energy. Intel... <laughs> was still kind of in the lead. They had 28-core Xeons when 32-core when Epic launched well, that it, were competitive. They used more energy, but they were competitive. Yeah, and I, I would say up through e- even Zen 2. Zen, Zen 2, I think it's a losing argument, but I think there's still a case to be made that Intel was mm-hmm. ahead even when Zen 2 came out. I, I Not I, in server anymore. No, no. I, I think, once again, it's a losing argument, but I think there was a case to be made. It's, and, well, there definitely wasn't laptop. Yeah. I mean, Intel, frankly, people need to remember, Intel didn't really lose laptop until Renoir. And even then, it was a little murky. Cezanne just made it end of the conversation, frankly. Uh, until Tiger Lake came out, and it's still somewhat competitive. Yeah, and if, really then, if you look at the, the arc of Intel being out, it was really only for probably two generations that's just felt longer because they've had really, really, a really repetitive cycle since way before Zen even came out. Sure. So I, I, I think there's no argument to be made that they aren't, quote unquote, back. That doesn't mean winning everything, though. Yeah. And I think AMD is probably going to come out with a Zen 3D in a few months and beat Intel again. But that's or at least a pro- probably overall win. But it's 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 going to be up for debate. And yeah. I think... Like you said, Zen 1, there was some debate about which product was better in every segment, Intel versus AMD. But AMD was so much better than when they have Bulldozer. It's it's the same with Rocket Lake. You know, like I said, A-Core Bulldozer was barely competing with i3s and i5s. And all of a sudden, they were winning multi-threading, competing all the way up to the i7, except for gaming. And even then, it wasn't losing by more than 10 20%. When before, they were losing by like 40 or 50%. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing now with Intel. It's like... 
before Rocket, <laughs> Rocket Lake is like Bulldozer. It couldn't compete with the mid-level. I mean, I know they charge more than what Intel was back then, but it couldn't even beat the 5800X. That was halfway down the product stack. Well, yeah. Just and, like the i5 was when Zen 1 launched. And like with Bulldozer, uh, it's arguably worse than their previous generation as well. Um, and I, once again, you know, they did, we've said this before, they're beating AMD a year after AMD's CPUs came out. So it's not like this is a some huge victory, but I, I think there's no case to be made that this isn't good for Intel and that they aren't going to be competitive with AMD for at least the next few years, I, yeah. I guess. And, and then, so then to the first questions, uh, can, you know, th the different responses, like saying, oh, look, the uh, 12900K, which I, I see said 11900K, let me correct that now, I'm sure already in the comments everyone's like, 11900, he meant to say 12900, and so did I, but it's just... Well, no, he said how much better, it, oh. how much better it is than the 11900K. So I mean, how much better is it? It's almost over twice as good, I would say, overall, but... um. And, yeah. and anyways, though, the point is, can it even compete with the 5950X? It wins in multi-threading and half of the apps. It wins in single threading, and it has a better platform that costs 10% yeah. more for new features. I mean, yeah, it, it competes just fine, guys, with the 5950X. And I don't I have nothing else to say about the different opinions except that the people that say Alder Lake is a raffle stopping that makes AMD irrelevant again are equally as dumb as the people that say they can't even beat the 5950X. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah, because I, I would even go still say if you're on X570, definitely, and you're looking to upgrade, you should stay on X570. Absolutely. Or, or well, if you have like something like a, a 5800X or something even, there's probably no reason to upgrade to anything you that's currently on the market if you have something that, like that or better. So if you have like Zen 1 plus... I mean, uh, Zen, yeah, Zen Plus or Zen 2, and you want to upgrade, I think staying on X570 is better if you have that option. Or whatever AM4 platform you have that can upgrade. Yeah, but if you're on, um, if you're on, at, at like Coffee Lake or something still, I would probably... Maybe. It depends. Maybe, though. yeah, you maybe. If 8700K, I doubt you're having trouble running most games. It, it's yeah, that's probably true. Game. But um, anyways, let's move on. Tick Dickler writes in, have you ever talked to an Intel contact about why Golden Cove is hyper-threaded and Gracemont is not? It seems intuitive to me, the technologically challenged, that the opposite would be the case. Big cores designed to maximize single-threaded IPC, a la the M1, and little cores that can spread out and be fully utilized for as many threads as it can. Well, okay, so for hyper-threading, a large point of hyper-threading is that as cores get bigger and bigger and have, you know, more and more, like, like hyperthreading allows you to line up the lines of code kind of in a row and operate them before the other one's done. It's like mm -hmm. the core is so big that there are parts of the core not being used before it's done with whatever it was doing before. It's it's a very kind of clumsy way I explained it, but that's the what I, that's basically what it is. Is it's like. Uh, I mean, we can start this other operation while this one's finishing. That's mm. what hyperthreading allows you to do, pretty much. And that's why with SMT4, you probably wouldn't want to do that unless it's really paralyzed code that's doing the same thing over and over or close to that, or the core has, you know, so many is like really, really good at scheduling multiple parts that aren't needed, you know. So that's why we were not on SMT4 yet. And then for Gracemont, why does that not have hyperthreading? 
It's a stripped down core, so that's part of it, like I just explained. But also, you have to remember, Gracemont is the evolution of Tremont that came before it. That didn't have hyperthreading. So, eventually it probably will, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. And I've heard already there's some whispers that within one or two of these little core architectures, they will add hyperthreading. It's just, this is where they're at now. But um, some of that is better asked, honestly, if I have on like someone like Wendell or, or, or another person who could better answer that. But that's that's basically the answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on. The Hollow Knight writes in, and he asks, I've noticed there has been some confusion going on with Alder Lake being LGA 1700 and Raptor Lake being LGA 1800. Can you clarify this some? I would have expected Intel to say, stay on LGA 1700 for multiple gens, then randomly decided that you need to a separate LGA 1700 motherboard after the second gen. I mean, it's funny. There's been screenshots of LGA 1700 covers in labs that say LGA 1700 slash 1800 for months already. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of evidence that if Raptor Lake doesn't use 1800, Meteor Lake will. Now, it's funny though. Offline, uh, Hollow Knight, who's a mod for the Moore's Law's Dead community, asked me about this. And he's like, didn't you say Raptor Lake 1700? And then I pulled up my leak and circled it. And it said, LGA 1700 compatible. <laughs> Guys, I, I pick my words very carefully in my leaks. <laughs> so what I'm saying is it's LGA 1700 compatible. If it becomes 1800, that wouldn't surprise me. We've seen screenshots of this for a while, and it can be 1800 and still fit in the same socket and maybe just lose a couple of voltage regulating features but work. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm expecting at this point. But, yeah, I mean... I don't really know that there's that much else to say. This is pretty normal. There was AM2, then AM2+, plus, which was compatible with, you know, the next, like, Phenoms, and then AM3 and AM3+, plus, uh, that was for both Phenom and Bulldozer and Piledriver. So this isn't that weird. Um, and at least all I can say is if you go back and watch my previous leaks, the thing I've always been told is that they don't plan to be as ridiculous with obsoleting motherboards as they were the past five years. Some of that was disorganization as they were trying to get anything out they could to compete with Zen. Uh, and some of that is they were greedy and wanted to resell chipsets. I still don't <laughs> see Intel really making anything last more than three gens. Like, it wouldn't, let me say this, guys, it wouldn't surprise me if Meteor, like, fits in Z690. But it would surprise me if uh, Arrow Lake did. <laughs> Or, and, or it certainly would if Lunar Lake did. Lunar Lake won't. I'll just say it. And uh, it, I, I think three, uh, three generations on one socket is probably good. Mm -hmm. And um, I th you're seeing this with AM4. I think AM4 has been around for too long to the point where it's now confusing for people which AM4 products worked with which motherboards. Which which they didn't plan ahead enough either. Yeah. Like with the amount of space they put for storing the microcode on the yeah. motherboards, they just, you they have to like have multiple versions of BIOSes <laughs> so that it depends on which one you're going between because mm -hmm. they can't fit all of the SKUs on one. I, I think there's an argument that AM5 should be built with enough longevity and planning to work with Zen 4, to work with, if there's any Zen 4, I don't think there will be a Zen 4 plus, to work with Zen 5, maybe a Zen 5 plus, and maybe Zen 6, but there's no need for it to be like Zen 1, 2, 3, 3D, like, I don't think you need more than three years of support on a motherboard. Like, if you get three generations on it, 
that's good enough. And we've had Zen 1, Zen Plus, Zen 2, Zen 3, Zen 3D. Five generations is ridiculous. And I actually wonder if it holds back some features they could have added. Like Ram, like Zen 3 Plus is a thing with DDR5 support. You wonder yeah. if it would have been easier for them to bring Zen 3 Plus to AM4 if, you know, because you always yeah. wonder, they canceled Zen 3 Plus. I always heard that there's a chance it was meant to be an early launch on AM5. And so if they may have decided that's just not worth it when they have Zen 3D on AM4 and then Zen 4 coming out in the same year. Well, yeah, I, you can't launch Zen 3D and Zen 3 Plus in the same year. That would be really weird, I think. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I, I guess that's, oh, that's all I'm saying is that I don't know that we see any evidence yet, or I'm not convinced that they're going to make Raptor Lake not work on it. Everything I've heard is that it will, and it even wouldn't surprise me if Meteor Lake did. Just because it has a different LGA doesn't mean it won't work. Mm -hmm. All right, so let us move on then to corrections and emissions. Patrick P. Gelsinger writes in, In Broken Silicon 126, when talking about Raptor Lake supporting DDR4, you mentioned about Common Lake being a mess as it was on a new platform. This was the norm at the time. 6th and 7th gen were supported by Z170 and Z270, respectively. So when 8th gen came out, it was expected Z390 would not be backwards compatible. But what was stupid was that it was only a firmware lock rather than everything else. Right. I understand that no one really expected Comet Lake to work on the previous gen motherboards, but the fact is some hackers got it working. It's a Skylake with two more cores added again. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely, as far as I've been told, no reason at least the eight cores shouldn't have worked in Z170 or something. Like, they could have done it. And I don't know what else really to say about that, except that, yeah, I mean, I probably oversimplified what I said, but, uh, yeah, that was... That was still really dumb on Intel's part. I mean, and, and and that's the funny thing, too. I remember saying this in Broken Silicons and videos back then. I had a Skylake i7. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would have upgraded to Comet Lake instead of Zen 2 if they let me. Ten oh, cores. Probably, yeah. Ten yeah. cores are cheap. I already have the motherboard instead of buying. A, they were really expensive when they launched X570. Or I'd have, I would have gone to Coffee Lake, maybe an eight core, and I've been like, that's enough for me. But I didn't because they wouldn't let me upgrade. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I do remember that as well. And I remember that making me really, really annoyed. Cass writes in, Hello, Thomas, Daniel, and listeners. I wrote in some months ago requesting that you update the outro to your podcast to avoid implying that the podcast would follow the credits rather than the other way around. After taking a hiatus from listening, it was simply too painful to follow gaming hardware news when I couldn't get my hands on gaming hardware myself. I was overjoyed when I returned to find that, upon listening to a recent Broken Silicon, the outro has been updated. Kudos to Tom and Gerard, and Dan, I guess you're cool too. Okay. Weird slight diss on you, Dan. It would be cooler if Dan was still dissecting fish or whatever, but I guess that's fine too. Maybe he's... Well, so first of all, I update the outro probably every half year, you know, as things change with the channel, whether it's a new P.O. box and stuff, and I just like listen to it sometimes ago. That needs to be changed. But um, are you you still dissect? Well, no, you weren't really dissecting fish. So I mean, I no. guess maybe you would sometimes. But I, I don't don't worry. I'm I'm still I'm I'm learning how to dissect f frog embryos. So don't worry. We're still we're still doing dissections and stuff. I'm still I'm still learning those skills, Tom. I don't see why killing frogs is any less cool than killing fish. Too. I don't Although really I kill guess... the frogs. Right. Okay. I, I just the frogs are cool. We just get their their eggs from from them okay but and then we let them you know frog around 
Well, let us stop frogging around <laughs> and move on to story number one, which, speaking of frogging around, NVIDIA November 2021 GTC. <laughs> That's really... I, I didn't even do a write-up for it. It's funny, I you know, people will be good to remember... A couple weeks ago, we did an episode where we recorded later to cover the AMD Data Center keynote, which was a very good decision. That was, yeah. I think, actually one of AMD's most important keynotes in the past three years. B bigger than their gaming one. I mean, I mean, Bergamo, Genoa, Milan X, uh, the stuff they showed off. Oh, and then MI250X. Although the chat would have something else to say where... The chat was being spammed by a bunch of people saying, like, where's the gaming stuff? But it was literally a data it was center. Called a data center. It was called the data center keynote, <laughs> well, if I remember correctly. Well, now, what I find so annoying about the people that spam where's the gaming stuff uh, with, like, like they, they announced a new version of Zen 4, 3D stacked Epic chips. All of this can affect gamers. That means they can make a Zen 3D Threadripper. That means they can make a dense Zen 4 for workstation on AM4 or AM well on AM5. Like this means all of this should and, and or and, they and announced they, multi MCMs uh, for graphics cards. Do you think that's not going to right. come to gaming at some yeah, point? <laughs> they just announced a multi-die CDNA card that humiliates like A100 on yeah. six nanometer. Uh, so what do you think that means they can probably do with RDNA 3? No, they didn't announce RDNA 3, but, I mean, right there, MI250X, the takeaway is, oh, multiple GPUs are going well. <laughs> That's <Yes>. good. <laughs> um, but, anyways, the GTC from NVIDIA was going to be the next morning. Actually, I think it was going to be at, like, 4 a.m. in our time. Oh, yeah, and... I think it started, like, an hour after I went to bed. Like, I got a notification, like, it's about to start, and I'm like, whatever. And we briefly talked in the podcast about considering delaying again and for this GTC thing. And we were like, no, we'll, we'll put it out. And if something really big comes out, I guess we'll just cover it this week. Yeah. And so here we are. Yeah. The, honestly, I, I think even for a not let alone a non-gaming focused one, which GTC, they sometimes have gaming announcements. Yeah. Uh, which is what worried me. I did. I thought there might be a chance they announced something like uh, the NVIDIA Super Series, some kind of. I don't know, early teaser at Hopper or Lovelace, anything like that. They didn't do anything like, I mean, there's nothing. I, that's why I said fart noise in the notes here. They showed no Hopper teaser, which I didn't expect one, but I wondered if they'd be like, it's coming sooner than you think. Uh, AMD just, my only takeaway is AMD has a gigantic opening with MI250X. Oh, yeah, they definitely do. I don't know when uh, NVIDIA is going to be coming out with the, something that competes with the, I mean, or a successor to the A100, which that's clearly sorely needed at this point. Well, it depends what you mean. If you're saying literally a successor to the A100, which is probably Hopper by all indications, yeah, yeah. probably not till the end of 2022 or maybe early 2023. But if it comes to Lovelace, I have heard maybe some professional versions of Lovelace will start sampling at the end of quarter one, like early engineering samples, but mm -hmm. it's not going to be ready till probably quarter three at the earliest. So, I mean, yeah, I don't. I think AMD's just going to have at least half a year of free reign with CDNA. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, once again, that doesn't directly affect you, uh, gaming, but and uh, they'll probably be more directly competing in gaming sooner than AMD, but with uh, the new Super Series that's going to be coming mm -hmm. out. But they don't have anything to compete with CDNA for several months, at least, like probably a year. 
I mean, at the very least, then, for gamers, the takeaway is there's no surprise super launch coming in December, as far as we can tell. Or yeah. <laughs> if there is, it's going to be a paper launch by far, because it hasn't been announced yet. And, in fact, that means them probably supers like February next year, which if that's coming out with a full new refresh of Ampere in February, that means that Lovelace probably isn't until the very end of the year. Well, I, I've heard quarter three, but the only reason they would do a full refresh is they have at least half a year where they won't have a new generation and they want to have something a little better if amd launches other stuff soon uh yeah and i i would think probably the better part of year like eight months at least if they're going to do a full like a full refresh of their lineup because if they can answer with answer intel in like three months that might just be that is better than doing a whatever full refresh we expect them to do yeah and as i look around here the only other thing i wrote down is this orin um, what is this uh, platform for self-driving? This is the 12 ARM core Hercules CPU with an Ampere GPU up to 2048. CUDA cores is what it seems like. They they didn't even really confirm the specs anymore in this. <laughs> so even the Orin stuff was just new pictures as far as I could tell. Not even anything really nitty gritty, like more than what's already been rumored or said. So and the, and the reason I'm interested in that, of course, is that's maybe what's in the Switch 2 or some iteration of that is so. Assuming the Switch 2 comes out uh, this year. The end of or, next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I was thinking 2020. We were already in 2022 for some reason. The end of next we year. We practically are. But yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, even that was like, I can't believe they didn't even. I, I can't believe how little they even said about the things they showed. I mean, it was honestly the most boring parts of the previous keynotes they've done where they just do all the AI stuff and show a bunch of like how we're going to change the world trailers. It was just that again. Uh, it was. It was I mean, we do need more tech companies putting out videos about how they're going to save the world and that well and this is what annoys me too like so we'll get to it later in this episode it's actually the next story but nvidia announced dlss 2.3 open sourced nvidia image scaling mm -hmm. they didn't talk about that there and that that press conference was an hour and 45 minutes like what amd did so much more that was so much more interesting than like 37 minutes i, I don't why was it so long i think it goes to, just goes to show that you can uh, pack a lot more in a shorter press conference and you know having a short press conference doesn't mean that there isn't a ton of stuff in it like once again to go back to that amd press conference i was surprised by how much they threw in a, a 37 and it's so conference. well done the transitions between announcements it's like yeah. amd is getting better at this than nvidia i think in their shows for by, by well i mean i think there's no way around it from my perspective their past few keynotes have been way better than nvidia's way better presented way better organized way mm -hmm. high better production values or more interesting graphics i mean i'm trying to remember the how many there have been in between this at this point but like i thought the ampere announcement keynote if they i don't know if they called that a keynote but that was i thought that was a really good uh reveal uh some of it you know didn't turn out to be a completely it turned out to be a little bit misrepresented, I think, when they unveiled Ampere. But that, I thought that was a very good. That was good, true. That was over a year ago, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess what I'm also thinking now that we're talking about it is, I think there's no way around it. AMD marketing can do great things now. Please go look at the 290X reveal keynote, guys. It was painful. Like they flew everyone out to Hawaii and had a snooze fest and finally talked. It was bad. Oh yeah, because they named it. That was uh, codename Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> but um, anyways. What I'm saying is I wonder 
AMD's making a lot of money now. I wonder how good their marketing can become if they really actually start advertising their products when RDNA 3 comes out. Because I wonder how much that can help them take market share if they like just do a trade, like do a well done, you know, one minute ad in a, on TV or something that like shows beating NVIDIA's best by like 30% if they do. Like, I think NVIDIA's got to get their get their crap together here when it comes to presenting their information because they have been good before, but lately it seems like AMD is getting better at presenting their products. Yeah, I I think they are. I mean, I, I want to see whenever they actually do a consumer focus, a, a consumer facing unveil uh, next time to see how they do and compare it to whatever AMD has done most recently. But like, like you said though, that data center um, keynote, even if you're into the space a little bit and not a little more into it than the average consumer, I think that was interesting the entire time. Root Knight writes in, if NVIDIA decides to double down on high-powered graphics on their ARM SOCs, do you think we'll start seeing companies launching gaming tablets or Chromebooks? We have gaming phones already, so it's not that big of a step to take, in my opinion. I mean, I would say we already have had them, and they've all failed. Yeah, I... I mean, the next thing to kind of try to tackle that is the Steam Deck, and we'll see how that does. Right, and that doesn't run NVIDIA. No. You know, so in all of these NVIDIA gaming tablets, which they, guys, go look it up. Before the Shield came out, I think that was already, or around the Shield, they also tried a tablet version. That thing sold terribly. For it, it, It's been a failure every time. Um, you know, can that change? Absolutely, but at least right now is what I would say is, they have tried and it keeps failing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying it can't work, but it's not like no one's tried it. So let us move on then to story number two. NVIDIA announces DLSS 2.3 and open sources NIS, NVIDIA Image Scaling. Quoting some here from video cards. Today's announcements, including DLSS 2.3 and iCAT, are not the only news from NVIDIA. The company is also open sourcing its image scaling technology, which has been present in the drivers for years. NIS will now work with all games and possibly all GPUs on the market. This is obviously a direct response to AMD's Fidelity FX Super Resolution, which is now broadly available thanks to the technology being open to all developers and relatively easy to implement based on all accounts. NVIDIA confirms that NIS will be available through their GeForce Experience or Control Panel. The former will also allow per-game sharpening tuning through the overlay. NVIDIA Image Scaling has already launched with recent GeForce game-ready drivers. NVIDIA promises to publish the code for NIS today on GitHub. And so, yeah, this came out. So they And, and they've already published it from when yeah, I quoted yeah. this a few days ago. So um, I talked about it a bit on the latest Loose Ends, which is funny that I was hearing NVIDIA was going to launch an FSR competitor. <laughs> and then me and Steve talked about it and agreed it's definitely coming. And then right when the... Broken Silicon with Steve went public. Uh, not, yeah, <laughs> it's just like, well, there you guys go. I'm not full of crap, you see. Uh, I didn't think it'd come this soon. I, uh, although I got to say, I kind of thought it would be better than this. I looked around and it doesn't seem that great. I, I, I've seen a lot of forums full of people saying that NIS crashes their PC with older graphics cards, whereas FSR isn't even officially supported back to like GTX 500 Fermi, and people are showing 50% boosts, and 40%, I think, boosts in some games with a GTX 580, which one's behind me, <laughs> you know, with FSR. And that's an NVIDIA old, outdated, no new driver has been released for years card working on an AMD, and yet I've seen like GTX 750 Ti's crashing black screen issues with NIS. Furthermore, I've looked around at some of the stuff, and it doesn't seem as good as FSR 
And arguably, it's not that it's not harder to implement because it's kind of just there. Yeah. But I, I expected more out of this. They have a lot of work to do if oh. they want this to be a true reason for devs to not consider adding FSR next to DLSS, which I think is the point of this. Well, I'm trying to remember, like, when did NIA, I mean, when did FSR first get um, the, the big reveal happen? It would have been several I think months it was ago. June. So I have to wonder how quickly uh, NVIDIA made this decision to just, you know, open source this already existing technology and if they've really put any work into optimizing it at all. I mean, it's open source, so I think it can only get, you know, better and more optimized from here. And we'll see where it's at a year from now because where it stands right now, I don't know how if how much of a, this is just a lazy, like, dump to try to have some... Com- uh, nominal competitor to FSR and it will get better over time um, because it, yeah as it stands now it doesn't look like it's truly a competitor to FSR but I wonder just how much work has actually gone into it or if it's just you know open sourcing this code that they already use yeah and I mean the only reason again just to be clear that they would do this is I think you have a lot of devs Adding DLSS, like I've been playing Battlefield 2042, it has support, it works really well, but it doesn't have FSR. And the devs probably like, we've li- I've literally had multiple devs tell me directly and said publicly, you know, uh, on in interviews on websites that it took them like literally one person an hour or two to add support to, for FSR. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the perfect implementation, but they said it was still a benefit and it took almost no effort to add. And the only reason NVIDIA would do this is so they can say, when we give you the DLSS package, you don't need to add FSR. We give you it. Mm-hmm. But again, as far as I can tell, it's just not remotely as good as FSR. And I doubt it'll be as good as open source XE super sampling as well. Oh, so, that's also true. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is this isn't enough NVIDIA to dissuade developers from adding FSR, I don't think. At least the middle developers. People like 4A Games who make the Metro series that are practically half owned by nvidia as far as i can tell because they need the funding i think they'll just continue to rely on nvidia but there are these devs that are like double a especially that will just add dlss and add fsr because they don't care and i think nvidia doesn't like fsr being advertised as in the game is that's an amd ad next to their nvidia ad and they're trying to stop them and this, this just isn't good enough no it's not but you know we'll see how it uh evolves over time and we'll see if this is actually an effort a full-throated effort that they're going to put resources into or if it just remains a lazy thing to try to get a few devs to not put fsr in yeah well and i guess the only other thing to say is like dlss 2.3 is officially out like that was in drivers for months i believe and i've seen some comparisons it basically fixes like ghosting issues and cyberpunk Mm -hmm. it it just works better it's better dlss i I don't have much to say about it except that you know i play a lot of battlefield 2042 right now and dlss just made my 2060 able to play significantly better on my laptop than otherwise (laughs) and there is no downside to just even using balanced mode as far as i can tell it doesn't seem to really give me an image quality hit that I can notice, maybe a little smoothed out in the distance in a somewhat, not not blurry way, but I don't know what to say, clay-like way, but it certainly looks Mm -hmm. better than if it's off and allows me to play in 4K 100 with my 3070. (laughs) So all I can say is, I I think the future is FSR and XE super sampling, but if NVIDIA can continue to make DLSS just the best and have zero downsides and 
every game it comes out in, that's good. The problem is, is as long as, and Steve said this on the recent Broken Silicon he was on, as long as DLSS doesn't help in half the games, it won't be used in every benchmarking suite. And, and yeah, that, that, that's the detraction from DLSS. It's harder to implement. Um, and even when you implement it, yeah. with lots of work, it still sometimes is horrible in some games. It like actually takes a lot of work to make it work well. Yeah, but you know the good thing. Now we have what four, <laughs> four competing technologies for this uh, image upscaling. Or I don't know how much uh, NIS is really going to compete with the others, but yeah. And there were years of DLSS being a joke, and all of a sudden FSR is out, and every game has it and seems to work pretty well at launch. So it's definitely making Nvidia competitions making Nvidia make DLSS work faster than I think they would have otherwise. Definitely. All right. Reesey, Reesey, stop lounging around. Black Friday is right now if you know what you're doing. You see my dog Reesey here is stuck in the past. She thinks you need to lose sleep and hound all of the latest deals on a single day if you want the best deals for shopping this holiday season. Th that's just simply not true anymore. If you want the best deals on Steam, PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows keys, go to cdkeyoffers.com all November to get special discounts site-wide. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get a special 30% discount. This is the biggest discount on their website right now if you're building a shiny new Alder Lake system. And again, remember, you can use the code DIESHRING to get 3% off everything else on the website. Whether you want to get the shopping for software keys out of the way now or just get something you want right now, don't be like Reesey. Don't wait. Get all of the online keys you need, whether Windows or gaming, at cdkeyoffers.com all November. Again, use offer code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and use the code DIESHRINK for 3% off everything else on the website. Using cdkeyoffers.com with these codes helps Moore's Laws dead a lot and it saves you money. Go to cdkeyoffers.com today. Let us move on then to story number three. NVIDIA A4500, GA103, and GA103S incoming? Let's be quick about this. Yep, there's clear evidence NVIDIA has a lot of new Ampere stuff coming from recent Copite, Geekbench, Video Cards, and WCCF Tech, and my actually, leaks, potentially in quarter one, 2022. In summary, there is evidence of a 320-bit A4500 professional card, something that would likely perform in gaming like an overclocked 3070 Ti 20 gigabytes while using only 200 watts. There also seems to be a GA103 die, something that's long been rumored. Now, it's not clear if this die is in the A4500, but it is seemingly, at the very least, a focus die for a more efficient, both in terms of power consumption and to produce, RTX 3080. And GA102, is it's just not as good as 104. Uh, 104 is clearly the sweet spot for ampere efficiency per die size on Samsung's 8 nanometer node. So it really makes a lot of sense that if they launch a 3090 Super with full 102, they cut that down to the 3080 Ti, which is more cut down than the 3090. And then they also launch a 103 die, because I, I don't think they're going to need to cut down anything, honestly, to yeah. uh, the 3080 anymore. Especially when you consider they're still probably going to use that for... A5000 cards. Like, there's no mm -hmm. need. There, there's no need to make a any 3080s probably from 102 dies anymore. And so, yeah, that's what the 103 dies probably for, a 3080 Super. 
Finally, though, there also seems to be a 103S die. That is a 256-bit version of GA103, but the SMs compacted for minimal die space, but clocked lower. And frankly, a dense SM lower clocked with a smaller bus to save energy and space, that makes a lot of sense for a laptop because you're just not converting any GA102 to a laptop. It's just too big. It uses too yeah. much energy. But if they made a compacted version which it's going to be clocked lower on laptop anyway, so you can put them closer together. And then also, because it's clocked lower, it has less uh, CUDA cores, I don't see why you couldn't just give it a 256-bit bus as well. It probably doesn't need the extra bandwidth. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, and just to be clear, I haven't looked into these leaks. Like I haven't done a ton of digging with tons of sources to go, is all of this true, like I did for the 3090 Ti, which the 3090 Ti is real, although I still somewhat suspect they'll cancel it. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's that's enough me rambling. Um, I kind of went from reading the write up to slowly rambling more and more. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, like, what do you have to say about all these? Uh, there's it's not just one or two things. There's all of these dies and engineering samples floating around from Nvidia right now. Um, I mean, I think the prospect of a 103 coming to desktop as the 3080 Super or something would be great. Hopefully, it would be more power efficient than uh, what we have with currently with GA102. I mean, sure, maybe there will be these stupid 3090 uh, Super or TI or whatever they want to call it that will use as much uh, energy as you, they want it to. But having another die that's closer in energy efficiency to GA104 that's better performing would be nice. <laughs> yeah, and I don't remember the CUDA core count of what a 103 die is. I don't remember if it was like, I remember there were leaks recently. I don't remember if it was like, it's like I think it was somewhere between like 9,000 to 10,000 CUDA cores or something. And then they also just give it a smaller bus. So they're just trying to make it like 10, 20% smaller just mm -hmm. for the 3080. And I don't know, maybe something else as well. Um, 3080 Super, I should say. Um, yeah, I guess I kind of said most of what I think in the write-up. I, I think this makes sense to launch. Um, I've also seen rumors of an A5500, by the way, so I don't, you know, can't, no comment on that. But um, I, I think it's obvious there's going to be some unofficial relaunch of Ampere quarter one. Um, or official relaunch, yeah. I should say. Or reboot, refresh of Ampere. Well, I, I think there has to be yeah. uh, with Intel coming out. Well. Yeah, so if they want to maintain relevance, they have to put something out. I, I mean, I think it'd be in their best interest, especially if Lovelace is over half a year away. There's evidence AMD will get RDNA 3 out like a quarter maybe, or at least a, a month or two before Lovelace. You're going to want to have Ampere refreshed. And, oh yes, that's right. This is also the important thing. Ampere, as of now, is horrible in laptop. It's like yeah. half of the cards aren't even upgrades from the previous gen. Like the GTX 3060 is at best 20% better in the same per power consumption as the 2060. And arguably it's it's not better. It's like 10%. And then the 3050 Ti is a four gigabyte 1660 with ray tracing. But because ray tracing typically adds a lot more VRAM usage, four gigabytes makes it useless in ray tracing. Like they really need to redo their lineup for Alder Lake and Rembrandt laptops coming in quarter one, because you don't want AMD, as they're, as they're rumored to, have these new six nanometer refresh cards with Alder Lake and Rembrandt, and then NVIDIA's just there with these cards that are practically not better than Turing. Yeah, and I guess the last thing I'll say is like with GA103, if they really are coming out with a more, with like a compact version of GA103 to be put in laptops, the one thing I would be 
thinking about is like we've been talking heard of ga 103 before ampere was unveiled right like there's been rumors of this yeah there's been rumors that this would be a thing for a while yeah like i have to wonder why it took so long for it to come to a release product if it actually does get released well, you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of decisions that are made and like, I don't know what the yields were at first. Maybe they really did need to cut down GA-102 yeah. that much that often. That's kind of what I heard. And so they're like, we don't need this yet. Um, and I'm guessing by now, yields are just far better. And I have heard Samsung's 8 nanometer is actually yielding very, it's been a year, it's yielding very well by now. Um, I guess the final thing I will say, was I guess I should touch on this. The rumor for GA-103S is that it will have 7,400 CUDA cores. So that's like 20% more than the 3080 laptop edition, which is just a 16 gigabyte 3070 Ti with lower clocks. So I would say this would probably perform, it wouldn't perform as well as a 3080 desktop, but I think instead of performing like, like right now the 3080 laptop basically performs like a 3070 most of the time. I think this would get it maybe at or a little better as long as it has the full TDP. I could see it performing pretty close, uh, better than a 3070 Ti, maybe like a 6800. And that is yeah. a new tier of performance in laptop. Yeah. So I guess just to make this completionist, that's what it would perform like everybody. All right, so let us then move on to another GPU coming in quarter one. Intel 128EU 6GB entry-level XE leaked in story number four. Let's be honest. We have known about 128EU XE, or I guess now they're calling it 8-core XE, or SOC2 from Intel for a while. But one thing that never felt 100% clear was its bus width and launch dates. Well, now we know it. In summary, Moore's Law is dead leaked. The entry-level ArcDie actually has a 96-bit bus for desktop, with 50% more bandwidth than expected if it only had a 64-bit bus. A128 should match the 1650 Super or 1660. Previous rumors pointed mostly to a 64-bit bus, but it seems this was all for laptop iterations being tested that don't need the extra bandwidth and would likely like to save on board space by removing a third of the memory bus. And they also don't need it if they're going to clock the core lower, too. Um, a 6 gigabyte 1650 Super may not sound exciting, but it's worth pointing out that unlike the 1650 Super or the 5500 XT, this will support ray tracing. This will support XE Super sampling. 1650 Super does not support DLSS because it doesn't mm -hmm. have tensor cores. And it also uses 75 watts or less which means no six pin required, which means cheaper to produce cards with cheaper boards, cheaper VRMs and cheaper cooling. And because it has six gigabytes instead of eight gigabytes, that's another 10 to 20 bucks they can shave off the cost as well. So in other words, well, it isn't a new level of performance. It will have a new level of efficiency and features, and it should be able to be priced at about 150 if they really wanted it to, and certainly below 200 launching in quarter one, uh, to laptops first and launching then to desktop early quarter two and then abundant availability in laptops late quarter two. So yeah, overall, it sounds like Intel is launching something that won't beat top Navi 24 most likely, but will nip at the heels of it while maybe having more RAM and using less energy. What do you think, Dan? Once again, this is a, a, a niche in the market that I don't think is being uh, represented or uh, satisfied by NVIDIA or, or AMD right now. So a, a sub-$200 uh, graphics card is sorely needed that isn't uh, Polaris. So 
Yeah. I, I, I think this is great that something like that is coming out. And at 75 watts, that's really low power uh, usage. That could be made it into a really, really small form factor. Well, yeah, and what I can't promise is that they won't overclock it and give it a six-pin like AMD did with Navi 24. Mm -hmm. But it's worth pointing out, I literally have pictures of this card, and I know people who have them. It does not have a six-pin right now in the desktop iteration. So at least right now, there seems to be no plans, although I bet AIB cards had a six-pin. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something that comes out from Intel, it, whether it's just AIBs or if they could just do a... I don't know, supercharged. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think, what else did this? Like, the RX 560, a yeah. lot of them had six pins. Because I, I will say the one thing is with uh, 512 execution units and 128 execution units, unless they're cutting down that 512 execution unit die they like, are. a ton. Yeah, like an absurd amount, by the way. I, I, I have, I, all the way I down to say like, exactly what my info is, but like I've said in recent leaks. Like, all the way down to like the ballpark of i don't know 300 or or less than that yes okay which so, sounds absurd to everyone listening to this but i want to be very clear to everybody uh my intel sources have really uh come through recently <laughs> i haven't leaked a third of what i know i mean if they're going to be cutting it down that much i guess they can occupy every slot in there in that uh range of mm -hmm. graphics cards that i uh, that they'll be producing because it is with there only being two dies it, it it seems mm. like there's a missing 384 or 256 execution unit die. Well, it's not missing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of those are, by the way, just to be clear, Dan. No, I, I know. And I, I think, um, you know, I talked to Carbon Cry about this, who, who definitely helps with some of the technical back and forth on, like, what's possible here. You know, I talked to him about how much does the bus take up, and it's hard to say an exact number, but... It sounds like going from 64-bit to 96-bit, for example, only takes up, I don't know, right, <laughs> like 10 millimeters squared or something, mm -hmm. depending on how you look at it. So from that perspective, if your die, I think that it's safe to say the die gets less than 10% bigger to have that extra bus. Yeah, then you can take the high clocking ones, give it 50% more bandwidth and put it on desktop. And you can use the yields that don't clock as high, but maybe need less voltage with a smaller bus on laptop, and you're not really wasting die space. And I think that's what Intel's thinking with their 512 and 384 and 256 models as well for SOC 1, for the mm -hmm. top model. Um, it, it seems weird, but it seems like that's what they're doing. And and it, it honestly makes me wonder at a certain point, too, like how much of, like, how hard would it have been if AMD just, like, made top navi 21 it sounds like it really didn't need more bandwidth like they're like mm -hmm. pretty confident in that but it does make you wonder okay but like would it have been hard to give the 6600 xt instead of a uh you know like even like a one what would it be like 160 bit bus would it have been that hard to give the 6600 xt a 160 bit bus and then give some model 10 gigabytes of ram and more bandwidth so it can but then everything else yeah. doesn't i i wonder yeah, I don't know. Or if this is just something that... You have to remember, cutting down cards is different between architectures. Like, Maxwell, famously, if you cut it down, the it was very hard to eliminate, like, cut it down without mm -hmm. disabling multiple parts at the same time. So, for all we know, XE has been designed to be easily cut down in different areas of the die without really affecting the other ones. Uh, I mean, that's true. I guess they designed we'll see, it that way intentionally. I mean, uh, if the both of these products exist, I think that's 
obviously true to an extent. And, and, you know, I think you can kind of see the strategy emerging with how they're segmenting XE as well. So let's say they get just the fastest GDR6 at the mar on the market at the time, faster than 16 gigabit per second. They clock it highly, let it use 250 watts, and that's a special edition of A512. Mm -hmm. But then they take that and they say, okay, well, this one doesn't clock nearly as high and we need to supply laptops. So we're going to disable half of the execution units to 256. But because we've done that, these are like golden sample execution units. <laughs> now we can launch a, I don't know where, what that would be in laptop, like a 3060 laptop competitor that uses way less energy because it's only golden samples and from their perspective that's just cheaper than making a separate die at least right now mm -hmm. because it wins in efficiency and they want to maybe this architecture has been designed from the ground up to win in efficiency because you can disable so many parts of it you know what i mean yeah like, that's something that i think seems to be clearly emerging here outside of that i guess the last thing to say is just to hit home on like who this is for because i i saw a lot of comments on youtube like one person said I bought an RX 580 in 2017 for $200 and I had eight gigabytes of RAM. So what, this is gonna be like 10 to 20% stronger than that and cost 150 maybe or 180? Like Jesus, like who cares about this thing? And I said, well, first of all, your card can't use DLSS or XE super sampling and your card uses double the energy and can't do ray tracing. So it is different. And I will say in some games, DLSS had actually, has actually made a big difference for me. Having said that, this isn't for you, unfortunately. Yeah, and there are people always getting into the market, then not all of them want to get uh, mid-range or high-end cards. Yeah. So it is for someone. Exactly. And it's just not for you. And unfortunately, I know that we wish this was like 120 for the six gigabyte model, which maybe if there weren't shortages and less demand for TSMC there or everything, everything's in demand now, you know, as we'll get to in later stories, uh, like at Samsung three nanometer, you know, maybe it would be that cheap. But when I bring up, I mean, I like, oh, this could have a 30% margin in B120 if they wanted it to, to a contact, they laugh. They're like, oh, 120 cards anymore? <laughs> like, that's the fact. Unfortunately, there aren't $120 cards anymore. And so if you bought a $200 580 and it still works well, this isn't for you. This is for someone that needs, underline that word and put it in all caps, needs a new card and doesn't want to buy a $300 1650 because that's all they can get right now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like if, and if you want to get any new card uh, or new card, uh, new generation card, they're they're just all high mid range to high end card prices. From if you're comparing them to uh, like five years ago. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate, but hey, it's like I said in my Arc sixty six hundred XT analysis, pathetically competitive. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the sixty six hundred XT, despite being a 20-30% markup and cost at launch over what the 5600 XT was, you know, at the end of the day, it manages to be a stronger 3060 for less money. So, and using less, you know, energy. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, that's the market we're in and it is better. And so, if Navi 24, which is one, uh, which I believe is 64-bit, is either 4 gigabytes or 8, which since it's 64-bit, I think it's probably 4 gigabytes. I bet, I've been thinking about this today, Dan. It seems like AMD wants the price increase to be 25% between everything, basically. 20 mm -hmm. to 30. They want you to pay 25% more, right? Yeah. 
for the 6700 for the 6800 and the 6700 XT. If you'll get 380 to 480, they like they literally want you to consistently pay 20 to 30 percent more for the step up. 330 for the 6600 to 380. It's like 25 percent. So if I had to guess, AMB wants to charge 250 for the 6500 XT. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. If and from what I've heard, it might be just below a 2060 in performance or around there. And they'll say, well, that's good. But if it only has four gigs of RAM, people need to remember, if Intel pushes ARC 128, this thing could be a 1660, which was only like 20% weaker than the 2060. And, have, and if it has six gigabytes for 150, $100 less, only 20% weaker and more RAM, this, this is good. That Navi 24 and 128EU ARC are coming at the same time. This stops either of them from being stupid, hopefully. Yeah, and that might be a better card for a lot of people. I would argue it is. I don't know who... And, and, you know, I'd assume it would actually do better in 1440p in session. I know. It's like, these aren't really 1440p cards, but it's like, eh. I mean, stronger <laughs> than a 590? I bet you could do 1440p medium 60 in most games. And you'll have 6 gigabytes of RAM instead of 4 gigabytes. Whereas the... I suspect I think the 6500 XT will actually be okay in 1080p, but just be a joke in 1440p for RAM and 16 megabytes of infinity cache reasons. Yeah. I think Intel has a more competitive card here. Yeah, they definitely do. You know, unless AMD makes it the same cost or has an 8 gigabyte model that's $200, which I think they might do, though. We'll see. Well, if they did that... I mean, yeah, I, I think people would buy that. <laughs> but if I were AMD, I would try to make this like one... 50 with four gigabytes because I don't really an eight get you're putting eight gigabytes of expensive GDR six on this thing to make it two fifty. I'm not saying you shouldn't let IIBs offer that, but I would. Eh. But they RAM's might not, they might not be able to if Intel makes theirs one fifty because then it just looks silly with less RAM. So yeah. this is yeah this is real competition for AMD. So that's exciting, hopefully. But uh, enough about that one. Let us then move on to story number five. Intel Fishhawk Falls leaks HEDT evolving into mainstream workstation. What started as a simple opinion piece on the future of HEDT slowly turned into an epic outline of what to expect out of Intel workstation platforms once Moore's Law's sources chimed in after his initial script was written. That's right, Sapphire Rapids X is leaked, except it is not Sapphire Rapids X. It is apparently SPR Mainstream Workstation, abbreviated MSWS for Mainstream Workstation. Intel is planning to consolidate their workstation offerings and move away from supporting HDT directly. And honestly, if you look around, like it's Zen 3 Pro still coming out, Zen 3 Threadripper or not, it kind of seems like AMD might be doing the same thing as well. But before we talk about what this means, let's not get ahead of ourselves. In summary, this Intel information was leaked. Intel is launching two above mainstream desktop platforms in the second half of 2022. The first one, Expert Workstation, can have up to 56 cores possibly. If Intel releases it, they're at least testing it. And it would have 112 PCIe Gen 5 lanes and eight channels of ECC memory. Mainstream Workstation would then be a platform below that with up to 36 cores possibly, although again, it depends, 64 PCIe Gen 5 lanes, or and then eight or four channel memory, with it still not being clear if they'll enable ECC on this. The sources don't disagree on this to this day. Anyways, this is all expected to be priced competitively relative to AMD offerings, which let me let me just jump into that then. 
I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, great, it's going to be up to $3,000. Of course, they're going to milk people with their new mainstream workstation. I said 1,000 to 3,000. This is probably like starting with a 12 or 16 mm -hmm. big core product or maybe 24, like well, 20. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get as cheap as the cheapest previous gen Intel HDT CPUs, which were $500. Yeah, because this is now mainstream workstation. But I, if they, I said up to three thousand. I think there's a chance they may launch a five gigahertz thirty six core for two thousand, which would blow away thirty two core two thousand dollar Threadripper Zen two. So, yes. I actually think this is really exciting. I mean, we, I've been let me, let me get out of the uh, write up here and get your opinion on it. Then Dan, we've been talking. I've been talking to you about this information as it was developing, as I was receiving it for a couple of weeks now. Like, what do you think about? Mainstream workstation Sapphire Rapids. You know, I think um, I think mainstream de or consumer desktop and uh, workstation as mainstream uh, processors get higher and higher core counts. I think the need for a strict HEDT thing is becoming less and less necessary, and just having this mainstream workstation occupy something slightly above that. Well. More than slightly, but having mainstream workstation occupy something above that, and then just having these really high core count mainstream or consumer processors exist almost eliminates the need for HEDT at this point. And yeah, it might be a little more expensive if you need some of the features that HEDT had to jump to workstation. But you know, you're still getting uh, up to 36 cores with mainstream workstation. Uh, that's way better than what you could have gotten in the past, at least from Intel, for core count wise. I think it just shows that their consumer platform is kind of, you can retrofit it to be HEDT and it almost eliminates the need for the HEDT uh, platform at this point. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know what else to say about that. Like, it just seems like HEDT is a platform that's kind of going away or maybe as a platform that they don't need to release every generation. Like you said, uh, you think Zen 4 mm. Threadripper is going to come out maybe... Early they, 2023. Maybe they only offer it every two generations for the people that want that feature set. Which wasn't intentional with Zen 3 Threadripper. They, they, yeah. Although it always seemed more mercur mercurial than previous generations. It was never like, oh, here's a picture of one being tested. Here's this. We had pictures of Zen 2 Threadripper being tested months and months before it was rumored to be coming out. And that never happened with Zen 3. So I want to say it never seemed as definite they were going to make it. But they were planning to make that. They had a roadmap for that for Chagall 3D. They just canceled them because there's shortages and they can't make enough Epic. I think, yeah, moving forward, like you're saying, they may literally say, hey, Zen 4, we get it, but we're done till Zen 6. And, you know... Maybe had the pandemic not happened, we would have gotten thre uh, Threadripper mm -hmm. this time around as well. But I think the fact that, like you said, it was always more mercurial. There was never any real solid, as many solid never leaks felt on it. Yes, solid. Uh, it tells me that they viewed Threadripper at least as a less important platform than Epic and uh, Aim Four. <laughs> so <laughs> they view their consumer and Epic as more important than Threadripper. No, but I mean, of course, because it's niche, frankly. Yeah. Especially in a world of... And, and again, there's people that get mad at me. It's like, well, X570 doesn't have enough. Okay, well, Z690 on Alder Lake has double the SSD support, I believe. Like, there's no reason AMD cannot have a PLX that doubles PCIe lanes for AM5 
or, or even just makes a different IO die that has support for 32 Gen 5 PCIe lanes and fits it on AM5. AM5's a chunky boy. Mm -hmm. Like, they can probably just make a line of WX Threadrippers for AM5 up to 170 watts. No, it doesn't go to 64 anymore, but get workstation. Yeah. And I think that honestly is what I think AMD should do because this idea of launching full Threadripper platforms and workstation doesn't make any sense. They're almost the same. Yeah, they are. You know, again, it's not like, and I said this too in the Discord, I want to make this clear. Like, I think people need to remember why it made sense for Intel to have HEDT. They were selling quad-core Skylake at the same time as 24-core Broadwell Xeons. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it made sense to launch a, a, an extreme i7 that wasn't even half as big as the Xeon. But now Threadripper has as many cores as Epic. Yeah. Uh, they, and it was only because Intel didn't need to launch anything due to launch lack of competition. But now they do, and it's like, what's the point of HEDT? We're going to make our consumer platform better anyways. Yeah, it's almost like Intel's HEDT was kind of this thing that they put out because, you know, they could a year later with their, that same architecture. Exactly. And it was a year later after they filled most of their server contracts or the most important ones first. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, things are changing. Um, I guess we've talked mostly about the future of HEDT here, which I want to be clear. Some of this was speculation. I still believe Zen 4 Threadripper is coming out. Uh, yeah. I do. Yeah. Uh, and in an HEDT fashion, although I kind of just think of it as workstation now that I look at it. Um, and well, that is planned to come quarter one, 2023. I see no reason why they couldn't launch at quarter four, one quarter after Sapphire Rapids mainstream workstation. So there's a lot of people in the comments that were just like, look, AMD, Intel can compete. In it's like, keep in mind, uh, AMD has options to compete with Sapphire Rapids here, guys. Like Milan mm -hmm. X exists. They could launch... And what I actually think they should do is just do it, even if it's a paper launch, a Zen 3D Threadripper, and then just launch Zen 4 Threadripper when they're ready so they don't have to hold Zen 4 Epic contracts. I think that's, and then they can dual source from 7 nanometer and 5 mm -hmm. for Threadripper and uh, Epic. So that's what I think they should do, and they can do that. So AMD can absolutely respond to Sapphire Rapids on mainstream workstation. It just depends if they want to. Um, what any? Do you have any thoughts on... Um, Fishhawk Falls itself, though. We've spent a lot of time talking about how AMD can react, why they might not have an HDT platform. My understanding is they'll have at least 28 cores boosting to 5 gigahertz on a platform that's in between the cost of Threadripper and previous-gen HDT Intel. Like, what do you think of this platform? I almost wonder who this is for, too, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't like what do you... I mean, because I think, I think people underestimate how good it could be, though. If it's 36 cores at 5 gigahertz... 20% higher IPC than Zen 2. It could almost possibly come close to the 3990X. I mean, yeah, that's true. It's it, The new delineation is interesting because it's almost like they're just calling it their HEDT workstation now and just almost changing the branding more than any, anything. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I ultimately don't know who this type of stuff is for, honestly. It's... It's no, no more longer for the than people. anything I would ever imagine needing, and you know what they're releasing with on their consumer platforms is already <laughs> more than what almost anyone needs. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder. This is for people like Steve at Hardware Unboxed, I guess. Yeah, who actually does like I forgot like the things he does with it, but he'll like do like multiple things at a time, and then also game on it. He's someone who might want a thirty-six core mm -hmm. Sapphire Rapids mainstream workstation but 
Otherwise, I think, yeah, the people that got Threader because they had the extra money and sometimes needed more than 16 cores, I think it's not for you. It, yeah. It's just such a powerful platform. Um, and I, again, I, I, I can't say this enough. I really think AMD should launch something, though, because 64 Gen 5 PCIe lanes, 8-channel DDR5, this is going to bury. And again, I've heard some people suggest that even the low-end platform, low-end mainstream workstation may have full 8-channel. So. Oh, wow. With 36 cores that are like 40% stronger than a Zen 2 core. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's it, it going can, to destroy most yeah. of, or all of Threadripper at the, that point. And I hope they price it competitively because it would not surprise me if the entry level to it was like 16 cores for a grand or mm -hmm. less, maybe 800, and then like, you know, 1200 for 24 cores, and then like 2000 for 36. Again, when I talk to Intel sources about this, they clearly state. It's probably going to cost more because it's a better platform, but this is the successor to Cascade Lake X mm -hmm. and Sky Lake X. And those capped out about 1500 to 2000 always. So there's no mm -hmm. reason to believe this thing that could blow away everything couldn't be a $2,000 CPU at most. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've increased their prices recently. So, that, uh, like you said, though, if it, I, I don't Although think it would go much above $2,000, though. I kind of expect 2500 though, just because mm -hmm. Sapphire Rapids doesn't look cheap to make. Yeah, and once again, once you're at that, those prices, uh, people are going to pay whatever for the platform they want. Although, I guess it's worth pointing out, this mainstream workstation uses the MCC die, not that expensive giant quad tile die mm -hmm. config. So it might be cheap enough to allow for it to be priced next to Threadripper as well. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see what that is, because it has... More than a few changes than just score count, I've been I've heard. So I guess, but let's leave it at that. That'll be for another video. All right, let us then move on to story number six. Hardware bench, hardware unboxed benchmarks, the M1 Pro. So this is a story that I actually wanted to throw in as the last story, kind of to nip things in the butt on this in a similar way where I wanted to nip Alder Lake conversations in the butt at the beginning. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of people looking at benchmarks of the, still, even though we've already covered this, the new M1 chips from Apple and the MacBook Pros, and again, either acting like it's magic or acting like it sucks. And there's a lot of people now pushing back and acting like it sucks. And honestly, I think hardware unboxed, as usual, Tim did a fantastic review, despite this, I believe, being their first Apple chip review. And he summarizes it pretty well. Look, it's really expensive. Most people shouldn't get this. And the fact that a lot of games just don't seem to work on it, this is not for gaming. But it yeah. is impressive. He tested the 16-core GPU, not the 32-core. So this is like half the performance of the top, the top MacBook Pro. And well, yes, it performs like a 1650 or whatever. It performs like a 1650... Well, having a CPU that's competitive with the best mobile eight-core Tiger Lakes and Saisons, well, using 60 watts total. <laughs> 60 watts total. And I think there's too many people going, oh, well, this is priced so high for the same price, I can get a laptop that has a 3080 in it that beats the 32-core MacBook Pro by 20 or 30% and then also has this a similar CPU and it's like yeah you're yeah but you're not using like whatever 80 to 100 watts for that version of the Mac you're using like 200 like the the laptop that Tim tested the you know again cut down configuration 
was able to game at full performance on battery for hours without having the fan audible. Yeah. They, you're not doing that on a 1650 laptop. No, you're not. And I, I, I just think it's what Apple wants to put out. Like, they are going to say, like, okay, we want to make a product where people can be away from a charger for a while, and that's the thing they made. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not the best gaming performance. Mac isn't a gaming platform, so I don't know what uh, what you're expecting. Maybe this is a... A gaming-first operating yeah, system, sure. N- maybe this will change over time as they're making their own things that actually have the potential to game pretty well. But as of right now, that's not what it's for, but it already does it pretty well. <laughs> and... It does it at a very, very power efficient, uh, and you don't have to be plugged into a wall while you're using it at those higher power modes because it just uses so much less energy than its competitors. Exactly. And look, it's programmed to the metal for their operating system, which is good. I mean, I'm looking at a code compile test here where it laughably beats with its 10 core. the best 5900HX, that's the best like mobile CPU on the market right now, by a, by a factor of like 50%. Mm-hmm. Like, but then there's apps where it just does terribly because it hasn't been optimized yet. So you always have to look for that. But that is an advantage. It's programmed to the metal and it's on five nanometer. You know, they have advantages. It's explainable why it's so good, but it is good for the power usage. It's just, no, yeah, I mean, look, I got a, for $1,300 a year ago, a 2060 Max-Q laptop with a five gigahertz, six core i7 that would beat, oh, the CPU is probably actually about half as good as the Apple one, to be honest. But the GPU, yeah, yeah, my GPU is like 50% twice as good as this. However, it can't even game unless it's plugged in. And if it yeah. is, I can hear the fan, And it, but it costs a third as much. So th- I guess that's all I'm saying is I just want to hammer this home one more time that the reviews showing this not winning in gaming and acting like it's not as good, it's, eight, it's like <laughs> it's 60 watts total, total for something that is basically a 1660 or something and a 5900HX. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's impressive. It's not for you, and I wouldn't recommend it to most people. One of our friends was like, I'm thinking of getting a Pro Max for 3500 And I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, You don't I mean, do any compiling. You don't do Adobe. You're not some creator on the go. That's who this is for if you if you want to buy it without wasting money. If you have more money, then, then I guess you can buy whatever you want. But it's it's a – these are for at this point, unless they start opening up their operating system more to be better for gaming. These are solely – for creators or professionals. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think like a college student should be buying this. Or, but people with so much money, they don't care and they want something where they just want ultimate efficiency. Fine. Or number three, people who are locked into Apple's ecosystem. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, they'll pay up for this and they'll tell themselves it was worth it because it is more efficient. And it is, but that's who this is for. And it's explainable why it performs the way it does. It's not alien tech, but it is also impressive but it, they also charge for it, and I don't know. I guess that's all I wanted to say, though, is after seeing this really, really unrivaled, in my opinion, and well-done and well-thought-out review from Tim at Hardware Unbox, I just wanted to touch on this mm-hmm. one more time, because then I'm basically done talking about Apple uh, M1 for a while. All right, so that is the final main story. Let us then move on to the wrap-up. So these are, of course, the stories 
that don't get a main story, but that we thought were worth mentioning at the end here. And the first one almost became a main story. Dan, even though you were wrong before, you turned out to be right. Steam Deck is launching in 2022. Steam Deck was delayed, everybody. Uh, I like to say I wasn't wrong. I was just preemptive on my story. You predicted it. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. I predicted that it was coming out in 22. Yeah, I mean... I don't know that I have that much to add about this, except that, again, it kind of reminds me, and this is a timid co- uh, comparison I'm making for everybody listening here, a timid one. I'm not saying it's the same, but also Hardware Unboxed just reviewed the Eve monitor, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, fun story, Eve reached out to me early 2020 and asked if I'd like a monitor to review, and I said, absolutely, I'd like the first HDMI 2.1 4K 144 hertz monitor. And then they never respond to me again. Yeah. Which Tim said, yeah, they uh, took months to get him something, even though he paid like $300 for shipping or something. Like so the company itself is whatever. But, you know, Eve looked impressive in 2020, in early, in late 2019 or whatever, or whatever it was, I believe. Uh, what are we in 2020? Oh, it was early 2021 when they reached out to me. Yeah, I think it was late. It was like 2020 when they announced the Eve monitor. That looked impressive. HDMI 2.1, 4K 144 hertz, HDR 600, and for $600, that was impressive if it launched in 2020 or early 2020. Here we are in late 2021, and Dan, actually behind you, is a monitor you got for Christmas. They can give you something as good or better than the EVE monitor for the same price. And guess what? It comes from a company like Acer that will actually email you back. (laughs) Hmm. Well... You don't need the emails back, do you? <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, again, when it comes to the Steam Deck, one of my major points was this is impressive if it launched right now for 400 bucks. But if it launches basically next year, like half a year, maybe before the Switch 2, I don't know. You know, yeah. it's using Van Gogh. This was an APU that was meant to launch in Surface a year before this, and then they just scooped it up. I think, though, now it's codenamed Aerith, so maybe they added some extra tweaks to it. But... I don't know. All I got to say is the Steam Deck launching early next year when shortages are getting better before the Switch 2 launches. Again, this is for a specific group of people, and, I, and you know, I'd like to try it out some point, but Valve is not a hardware company, and it seems they're running into a lot of the same shipping, release date, and volume problems that smaller companies that try to compete with the big boys run into as well. And, you know, it's not easy to launch a mobile platform like this, and it all comes down to timing. And the later it takes for this to come out, the more it's like... Well, the more it becomes pointless. Exactly. I mean, there's been Tiger Lake portable gaming handhelds for a year now. Mm-hmm. So will there be Alder Lake portable gaming handhelds out when this comes out and be the same performance for less money? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It all depends when it comes out. When you see something announced or something I'm leaking, guys, don't think of it like, that can't be possible because it's not coming out now. Think about it when it is coming out, if it's possible or if it will be worth the money. I mean, it was like that with every leak, every launch, everything. There's always this group of people that like thinks whatever is too powerful or too or too good to be true, and it's because for some reason you're viewing it through the idea that this is coming out right now. And no, it's not like or er, er, like early predictions on the how strong the PS5 and Series X would be. It's like yeah, these are also coming out like a year from now, guys. No need to freak out. Right. So I guess what I'm I also want to say is one problem I've also always wondered about the Steam Deck is I always worry that 
and I want everything to be successful. I, I, th I hope there can be real competition. And this is an important initiative, both for Linux becoming mainstream because it really uses Linux um, and also for handheld PC gaming to become a thing. I want this to be successful for everybody listening. But my concern is even if it is successful, they won't make enough for it to matter because that's probably part of this delay. Right now, Sony, for everyone being aware, is buying 747s in custom charting flights to get PS5s into England right now during the holiday season because of all the shipping delays that are coming from boats right now. Well, Sony is like a 150 to 200 million dollar, 200 billion dollar company. Valve's worth 3.5 billion. How much capacity can Valve buy at TSMC really? I, well, like, can they even make more than a few million of these? Like, like, cause they're bidding against AMD with Sony and Microsoft and Nvidia and Intel too. And, and can they buy the best shipping? Can they afford to charter these in and keep that $400 cost? I don't think so. And I don't even know how, if they're thinking that they're going to sell 3 million of these to begin with, like just straight up. I don't think they're selling that many. And I don't think anybody at the company is mistaken and thinking this is going to be, I don't know, the next switch. <laughs> right. But, and again, I agree. And, and that's what I just keep trying to say, you know, and I know we keep coming off as critical, but the only reason is, is I don't feel like I hear enough critical analysis of the Steam Deck. I just don't. I don't think mm -hmm. people are covering it. Critically, I want it to be successful and I like it. I want to be clear about that. But because no one else seems to be asking the hard questions, I feel like I have to. But let's move on then from the Steam Deck and the wrap-up. Sony investing $500 million in a TSMC joint venture in Japan. Or invest $7 billion. No, it's a $7 billion $7 billion. Plant. What was that? It's a $7 billion plant. Oh, it's a $7 billion plant. They're putting the $500 million of their own money. Yeah. Okay, thank you uh, for saving me from the comments there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know much to say about this. I just find this interesting when you see Intel showing off Sapphire Rapids in an Arizona plant recently, and mm -hmm. now Sony pay paying a ton of money just because it's probably a good business sense for themselves. And, and I believe this is a 28 nanometer plant or something too. I don't, a 22, yeah. 22 and 28 nanometer. So it's not like they're making PS5s in Japan with this plant, but some of these chipsets might be used in parts of the PS5 or other products they make. Or TVs. Or TVs. Right. It's just interesting to see more and more companies throw money around to get these fabs in their own country out of yeah. Taiwan. And I think that's important. Um, let me see. What else was there here? We got an article. Microsoft reveals benchmarks uh, showing why they're using Epic Milan X for their next platform. And I just want to point this out here. It's fascinating because... Zen 3D, for some people, doesn't make a big difference. But in some of these benchmarks, it's, <laughs> it's like 50% <laughs> better than Zen 3. Yeah. You know, for specific tasks, Milan X is a big deal. And I just want to point this out because I've heard that the orders for Milan X are so through the roof that that is another reason. Again, like we've said, Chagall 3D is... Uh, not coming to Threadripper, most likely. It's because, actually, for certain customers... This is as big of a deal as Zen 3 or Zen 2. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to point that out. Um, what else do we have in the wrap-up here? We have, oh, Raptor Lake has a new voltage regulator, which I don't remember if I communicated that or not, but I've heard this from my sources as well. But we have actual numbers here leaked from video cards that talks about why it would reduce CPU power by up to 25%. And just pointing this out because I think a lot of people are immediately like, well, if they said this, if Alder Lake, you, if Rocket Lake, you know, uses 
Oh, 250 watts. Alder Lake's going to use 300. Nah, I'd use like 200, some 10 fully <laughs> boosting. Oh, if Raptor Lake doubles the little cores, it's going to use more energy. It might actually use less. Uh, hopefully it doesn't. I think Intel needs to get their power usage under control at some point. So. Mm. Well, I have also seen this, though, Dan, recently. If you put the TDP limits in place on Alder Lake, it uses half the energy and has 90% the performance. Well, yeah, I, I think there's... A, I've seen that discussed in reviews that... Um, there was the age of overclocking, and now Intel just pre-overclocks their <laughs> graphics cards pretty much. And their CPUs pretty both, much. Probably, probably. Yeah. But um, actually, their graphics cards, maybe not, it turns out, but that's another discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. And so I just want to point that out, though, too. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't expect Raptor Lake to not give you... Look, I think Raptor Lake's going to use the same or less energy than Alder Lake while giving you 10% more single-threaded at least. and Well, not at least, 10% more single-threaded. And what I mean, probably then like 30, 40 percent more multi-threaded gen over gen. Like I and, and, and again, it's just a reminder that Intel is back. Yeah, they're not going to pull a rocket like next to my understanding. And even Alder Lake, the i5 doesn't use more energy, isn't less efficient than the 5800X. The i7 is fine. They just let it get 10 percent more performance while using double the power because they need to to compete in their opinion. Yeah, it's not that if they wanted to compete in efficiency, they couldn't because plenty of Alder Lake chips will be right up there with Zen 3, especially in mobile. Um, moving forward, more evidence of the RTX 2060 12 gigabyte. I mean, this thing, I've already leaked that this is coming out. Other people have as well. <laughs> more evidence of it. The one thing I'll add about this is, is I don't think it's going to really help anything. I, I think this is mostly for miners in capacity, just yeah. having more cards out there. I don't think this will cost much less to make than the 3060 itself. So I'm, I don't know what... Especially with the with most of the cost being RAM at this point, yeah, I, I don't know. Look, the twenty sixty is real, but I'm not excited about it. I, don't, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think they're going to launch a twelve gigabyte twenty sixty for two fifty guys. I think it'll be at least over three hundred, and it honestly wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if it's like three fifty, like a higher MSRP than the thirty sixty. Because why not? We're in dumb world. We're in dumb world. Um, we have benchmarks here of Battlefield twenty forty two. You haven't played it as much as me. Do you have any thoughts on the? Uh, I kind of wanted to touch on this a little bit on how well-optimized Battlefield 2042 is, because I'm looking at this, again, you know, with my mix of, like, medium to ultra settings, I get 4K100, the DLSS turned on with my 3070, and, like, I'm looking here. I, it's interesting how many people have talked about how it's unoptimized in the chat, and most of those people are like, well, I have a 1080 and an ice and Skylink, and it's like, guys, this is a cutting-edge game. I mean, I'll say I, I can easily get it to 60 FPS. There is... In, in 4K? Uh, yeah, what I'll say, though, is it is a bit stuttery. Mm -hmm. Well, I've noticed the stuttering gets better as you play the battle. That's true. So I don't know what that is. It, maybe it'll be patched or it's, I don't know, you know. Um, I think, and I think a large part of it, I don't remember, it wasn't this one. Here, I'll pull up this and uh, mute it right away. Uh, I believe Steve at Hardware Unbox then benchmarked it with RAM. Yeah, so I'm pulling this up here for Dan, and I'll add this in the description as well. Uh, look at the... Uh, Difference in performance between <laughs> RAM here. Yeah, RAM clearly uh, benefits. Like a lot. <laughs> yeah. And there was one person who had a 1080 in the chat I was playing with, and he's like, why do I have to play this 1080p low? Why can't I get much above 30 frames a second? I'm like, what RAM do you have? And his answer was 32 gigabytes. And I said, <laughs> I don't care how much you have. What's the speed, dude? And he goes, 2,400 megahertz. I'm like... That's your problem. Yeah. Actually, Battlefield guys has wanted fast RAM since three. 
So I don't know what to say. I, I just thought I'd touch base on this, give my opinion. I don't think it's badly optimized at all, actually. I think it could probably use more optimizations for some types of hardware combos. But, I, I mean, it's it's a, it's a one of the best-looking shooters I've seen. It has 128 people on screen. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting story as well in the wrap-up. This is actually a rather chunky wrap-up. Hey, you know, we've long been saying the PS5's outselling the PS4, so you can't complain about shortages. Well, I shouldn't say you can't complain. You certainly can complain. You can't say Sony's not trying to meet it. And Sony is, but PS5's now dipping below PS4's aligned sales because they can't ship them. Yep. And I just thought we have to acknowledge that when that's been a big point we've brought up consistently for the past few months. Yeah, the availability isn't as good as they were predicting it was going to be. No, yeah. it, it, it's an issue. And a lot of it has to do with shipping. And, you know, it's funny we talked about why NVIDIA is reducing shipments of Ampere in the holiday season. And we talked about it has to be because of the standstill of boats. I, I'm yeah. doubly sure of that now. Like, that's half of the reason. That it's not just... And again, there's things they could have done to make things better. But they decided, if it's going to cost us anything, nope. We're just going to stop production for a little bit because... We want prices to be high. It's in our interest. But now you see Sony literally chartering jets to get <laughs> PS5s. They're definitely not making a profit on those jet ones. No. Per, but they want to get them out there because they know people will buy a bunch of games during the holiday season if they get one. It, it's just unfortunate to see this. The PS5 sales dipping below PS4 because they can't get them on a boat. <laughs> and another rumor, Samsung to, be the, to use 3 nanometer first for AMD. Um, I don't know. That's interesting as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a big deal if AMD is going to diversify outside of TSMC. You know, let me move to a reader mail about this then. Brett Summers writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. I recently have seen rumors circling the web about AMD being Samsung's first 3 nanometer customer. Do you think there could possibly be any truth here? If so, would it be for CPU and GPUs or more for something like IO dies? If I had to guess, it, it could be for either. I, the, the point is this, though. I haven't really asked around on this. I, I could ask someone like Daniel Nanny, actually, or there's a couple other people I could ask. Um, but what I would say is this doesn't surprise me at all. And I think it would be silly for AMD to not be trying to secure as many future contracts ahead of time as possible for mm -hmm. any products. Doesn't matter. I'm sure there's a product that this can use. Probably mobile. Probably mobile APUs. This would be oh, good yeah. for. Yeah. You know, um, they need as much capacity as they can get because... And again, we talk about how Intel's back. They're not in the lead, though. AMD is going to have a, I believe, technology advantage in server for the next three or four years, and in mobile be competitive, and in desktop be competitive. And there will be times where they have something way better than Intel still every now and then. They yeah. need the capacity. And so that's all I have to say is this makes a ton of sense. And when it comes to what they would use it for, there's tons of things they could use it for, you know, and they'll use it for the proper product. I know that's not, you know, the most interesting answer, but... That, that's the truth of the matter. Um, okay, moving forward. Alder Lake Integrated Graphics tested. I mean, it's like weaker Saison graphics, but it's only 32 execution units. They're going to have 96 execution units in the mobile version. So there, There's never, I, I don't feel like too much to say with these integrated graphics. Not many people are really using them to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess compared to... Yeah, I mean, I guess what we can say, though, is if they have a 96 EU version that maybe is a 45-watt chip and we triple the performance of this, uh, 
I mean, I think we get to above a 1050 Ti, though, yeah, that's true. above an MX450. So I just want to point that out, that I believe Alder Lake P and laptops, these, you know, two little, two big cores, eight little cores with 96 EUs, you, yeah, you, you could be gaming like an RX, eh, probably below a 1650, but above a 1050 Ti and a laptop without any dedicated graphics. That's pretty good, though. I think yeah, that's, it is. I think that's the story people are missing with these benchmarks. They're like, this sucks. And it's like, yeah, it has a third the graphics it could have because it's on desktop, dude. I, what I'm seeing here is this might be really cool on their mobile chips. Um, okay, another thing. Well, Dan, pictures of Meteor Lake in Sapphire Rapids in Arizona. So there it is. There's Meteor Lake, Dan. There's engineering samples of it, and we see four <laughs> tiles, which yeah. if I had to guess, we have here CPU, right, CPU, GPU. I think this is CPU, GPU, I.O., and then up in the left, probably the neural engine. You're probably right. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, it's not a very, uh, you can't garner too much from the shop because it's just, you know, three, I mean, not three, four silver tiles, but. It's yeah. exciting, though. There yeah. it is. I mean, guys, and I've heard this is on schedule to be made on, I think they're calling it Intel 4 process for the CPU yeah. cores, and then maybe TSMC for the GPU cores. Um, yeah, I mean, this is on track as far as I'm aware. You know, we should get Raptor Lake maybe quarter three next year and Meteor Lake mid-2023. Yeah, Raptor mm -hmm. Lake like quarter three, 2022, and then half a year to eight months later, we may get Meteor Lake, which as far as I'm aware, Meteor Lake will be on desktop. So this is, Intel is back, and people are doubting this. Guys, I think that their cadence is going to be about 10 months between generations moving forward. It's pretty Thanks. obvious when you see Raptor, Meteor, Arrow Lake on these leaks. Like, it's coming, and they launched Rocket Lake and Alder Lake in the same year. So anyone yeah. who doubts they can do this, they already did. We'll see when it gets closer to release. And finally in the wrap-up. This was a gigantic wrap-up, Dan. AMD to steer motherboard partners away from Intel WLAN and towards MediaTek co-branded ones. So I don't have much to say about this, but I do think it's interesting reading about how the professional versions of Ryzen on AM4 have had a real problem of usually being paired <laughs> with Intel wireless chips that didn't let them have some of the same features as the pro versions of Intel. And this is this just makes a lot of sense. And again, this makes sense for competition. I would like much more because it seems like, yeah, I think mine literally, I think mine uses Intel as well in my <laughs> X570 motherboard. And I think, I don't remember if yours does or not, but um, I don't I don't have much to add except that AMD, look at, they're making the partnerships. They, they're they getting, yeah, you could see them like elevating these other companies and kind of working with them as co-partners to really challenge Intel at everything moving forward, and that's good. Yeah. I'm proud to say that Moore's Law's Dead is sponsored by Ewin Gaming Chairs. Ewin makes dozens of customizable chairs for you. These chairs aren't just built for short-term comfort. They are built for long-term support, whether working or gaming. I didn't rush to make this ad. I actually gave it a bit of time to evaluate, and I can honestly say it's very comfortable, and assembly isn't that bad. Support Moore's Law is Dead and support your back by clicking the link in the description. And don't forget to use the code BROKENSILICON to save 20% on your order. I can fully recommend these chairs, and at least Reese now has a nice one to sit on in future ads, but not as nice as mine. Buy Ewin Racing Gaming Chairs today.
let us move on then to the final reader mails. Beanfish writes in, I wanted to give my perspective on the NVIDIA ARM acquisition since I'm someone whose company was recently acquired by a Fortune 20 company. I think the NVIDIA ARM situation is different than the smaller acquisitions that have large companies buying smaller IP teams or dev teams. A lot of companies in the tech space are looking to get acquired and talented people are generally always looking to prove themselves so they can be scooped up by a larger company. While we do see some downsizing after acquisitions, my whole team was kept by the acquiring firm and all of us have done well after the acquisition. I look at those types of deals as generally a win-win on both sides. Even our admin people who weren't kept got a pretty nice severance package and most of them were happy they got it. ARM is a different beast, as I think it's more of an anti-competitive thing. NVIDIA is clearly looking to consolidate and become a competitor to AMD or Intel, which makes sense strategically, but doesn't seem like it will be good for the current ARM customers or market. The only way this deal makes sense is for them to try to do the acquisition to drive up pricing. Otherwise, why would they not just be a customer? Yeah. I, I thought we had to read this one because this really was a really good... Because uh, we just did a die shrink on corporate consolidation. And I wanted to add some of this flavor there. Again, that's to the patrons if you support us. Again, I think the more we talk about the NVIDIA ARM acquisition, the more it's like, dude, this wouldn't happen for any other reason, but a NVIDIA wants to do monopolistic practices that hurt existing ARM customers. That, that's the I, only th reason they would buy ARM. Yeah, I mean, I just can't see it being for any other reason, buying a company that huge that makes that many pr products. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, I know Daniel Nenny did a good conversation about teams that literally try to become startups and get bought up, and that is an entirely different situation. Um, anyways, Stu writes in, Given AMD's seeming abandonment of low-end do-it-yourself CPUs in 2020 or 2021, what do you think would be the best way to reintroduce products to this market? Could they simply add a Zen Plus CCX with basic Vega 2 graphics to an I.O. die and only sell the I.O. die? This could have the benefits of a cheaply supply and integrated graphics to a chiplet-based desktop part or as a frontline force for attacking QuickSync later on down the line. Or what other alternatives do you see? I personally don't think that eating into a laptop supply and margins by cutting down Saison or splitting their product stack from TSMC even further is particularly intelligent. And cutting down an 8-core Zen 3, 4, or 5, or 16-core Zen 4C die makes virtually no sense either. But reducing I.O. chiplet yields by simply by splitting Global Foundry's production to more products or by increasing the I.O. chiplet size seems also kind of suboptimal due to the immense demand on server chips. Anyways, curious to see what you think how this might shake out. Stu, I love this question. I honestly think I just got to say it again. Monet. Don't forget about the Monet APU. This is a... 4-core, 8-thread Zen 3 APU with 2-6 to six RDNA 2 compute units on Global Foundry's 12-nanometer process. I mean, if it's the latest 12-nanometer process, it's like 20% better than what they made Zen Plus on. So this would be easily sellable for $80 to $120 and not be on TSMC. And look, yeah, I, yeah. think about it. This is basically a half Saison with probably equal graphics since it's RDNA 2. There's no, or at least close, there's no reason that if you can make a 35 or 65 watt, you know, Saison APU, if you cut it in half and put it on 12 nanometer, it won't be a 65 watt quad core. Yeah. I and that'd be great for the budget market. They could make this 80 bucks. I think this is the answer moving forward. There's no need to cut down any chiplets to four cores. The, the yields are good enough. And 
you're not going to make a multi-chip product that's cheaper than 150 for the profit margins they want now. But this is monolithic. This is on a dirt cheap node. This doesn't use TSMC. I really think they can make an $80 quad core that's better. That's pretty close to Alder Lake i3s for less money. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see really what else they could make at this point. <laughs> like that, just going to something like an older node is what makes the most sense. And who's to say what they'll do after that? You know, that's Monet. That should come out. Actually, it might come out late next year. I just hope it comes out sooner. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it might be on AM5. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what they do when it comes up. But I think it's late next year. And then Zen 4 comes out with chiplets. Well, who's to say then they don't make a Zen 4, insert artist name, APU, that is on Samsung 8 nanometer? Mm -hmm. What? They already have RDNA 2 graphics on that mobile Samsung. Why can't they port Zen 4 to 8 nanometer and just give it give it a 6 core CCX and 8 RDNA 3, you know? Yeah. And it'll, you know, they could sell that for 80 bucks. There you go. That that is honestly the answer moving forward because Zen 4, look at the pictures of its socket. It looks real complex and expensive. Like in the multiple chiplets and Vcash you're not putting something cheap on there unless it's from an older node that's basically a half version of what they have. But a half version of what, what they have is pretty freaking crazy powerful. So, Mazaria writes in, Hello, Tom and Dan. I have a question for you concerning Battlefield 2042. I've been playing Battlefield on Xbox since the original Bad Company, with Battlefield Bad Company 2 and Battlefield 4 being my favorites. Battlefield 1 and Battlefield 5 didn't interest me, though, because of their lack of respect for their historical settings. Do you think that I should consider coming back with 2042? I have a feeling I would dislike the specialist system, especially in hardcore, but Portal seems like a wonderful inclusion. I'm not sure if it's worth the money. Well, what I would say is there's really two questions. There's really first question here. Do you want to play Battlefield now? Because Battlefield 5 just wasn't as good as 1 yeah. or 4 or 3. So let's just say if you want to play Battlefield... I've been playing it a lot. It plays pretty well. It's got teething issues, though, which we'll get to. But first, I want to answer the other parts of this. Um, as for Portal, though, I mean, it's just Battlefield Bad Company 2 or Battlefield with better graphics. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, people forget there's some early hit registry issues in some servers on Battlefield 2042 that they're working on. So there's that. But I think people forget how bad the hit registry was in Battlefield 3. Yeah, it it was yeah. horrific. It, they had a 30, I think the server refreshed like the physics and the hit response at 30 frames a second. I think now it's 60 or 120, I think it's 60 now. That makes so much of a difference. Like it was funny, I was replaying Battlefield Bad Company 2 a little bit last night, mm -hmm. uh, some of those maps in Rush, and it felt so different because the guns Works. seemed stronger because <laughs> the hit response was better. Like, I was able to kill people much faster than I remember being able to do a Bad Company Battlefield 2 <laughs> because the hit response was better. So don't underestimate how big of a difference, how good it feels to play these old maps with the old characters, with the old weapons and vehicles in a game that just works better. Also, Battlefield 3 is now 128 player and Conquest on this. So that's pretty cool if you want to do that. It doesn't have to be their 64 player mode too. Um, all of that's there for you. The question is, do you want to play Battlefield? Because if you liked those games, here they are, and they work so much better than you probably remember the issues used to be. Um, as for lack of respect for historical settings, I actually, that's a pet peeve of mine. I mean, people say that. What World War II game has, quote, has respected its historical setting? Like uh, maybe honest. Red Orchestra. 
Yeah, like none of them have. Like any it, popular one. I guess what we're saying is, guys, Battlefield 4 lets you carry five rockets on your back and unlimited ammo with a machine gun while jumping out of helicopters and spamming parachutes. Realistically. There's, there's literally hover... Battlefield 1 is no less realistic than Battlefield 4. Straight up, I make that argument. It's ridiculous. It, no one walks around with unlimited machine gun belts and a mortar on their back. Yeah. <laughs> Battlefield 1, having more people use some machine guns, which make no mistake, they made tens of thousands of machine guns that were used. The the show shop at the... Um, it was a light machine gun made by the French and hundreds of thousands of numbers. They used automatic weapons in World War One. Yeah. I actually think automatic weapons are underportrayed in World War One movies. They use them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in World War Two, I know they added more guns than you're used to seeing. In that famous uh, Iwo Jima picture where someone's planting the flag, they have a 10-round semi-automatic rifle that used two five-round Springfield stripper clips, I believe. It's an interesting rifle. I think they made like eighty to 120,000 of those. It's in one of the most famous World War II pictures ever. And for some reason, World War II games don't have them. It's not realistic that you can only use a Thompson. Because in fact, they used a lot more than the goddamn Thompson in that war. And it annoys me when people think that's unrealistic. I don't know what else you would talk about, too. Battlefield 1, I think it was all men fighting in that war. And so, except for female snipers, which there yeah. was an entire female division for the Russians in that war anyways. And... They used a lot of Indian soldiers in World War One and a lot of African soldiers for the French. So I, I don't think Battlefield 1 was any less historically accurate than Battlefield 4. I think you just missed out on a good game. The, the, I think the fact of the matter is none of these games are quote-unquote realistic. Like, no, you shouldn't be going to any of these games for Arma. Like, I, I, I thought it... This isn't him, but I did think it was a little funny. I saw, like, a, a thread... On Reddit, of oh, the uh, Battlefield 2042 is is bad because like it's Battlefield was never the type of game that you uh, a person could just go down after and sit and after finishing work and play. And it's like that's literally all I've ever used it as. I don't know what this guy's talking about. Like, yeah, I don't know. And you can make custom servers and stuff, so there's not. I... No, the, the, just there's some people that are like this. I think there are some people that think that Battlefield is the ultimate in a like tactical, realistic shooter. No, it's always it's been not, in between. It's there's there's a lot of casual Battlefield players. Yeah, and anyway, so I guess what I wanted to do is not be. And I do thank you for writing in. It's not that I, I'm trying to be mean. I'm just saying like. If you're asking our opinion, we need to be upfront what we think about the historical accuracy thing because we just don't agree. So keep that in mind as I give you my opinion. Moving past that, though, in terms of the specialist system, at first I didn't like it, and then now I think it just needs minor tweaks. I actually think the specialist system is not an issue at all. For example, there is one specialist whose ability is he can throw small ammo packs and he can revive people to 100%, and you can also give him a med pack. Mm -hmm. So that's who I run as a medic, and I use an AK, and I, I use an assault rifle, and I play like exactly how I played Medic in Battlefield 4. And I have a class that can deploy turrets and has a rocket. It's an engineer class. I made an engineer class, but I'd like him to have a turret because I think it really helps when you're in an open field. My problem with the specialist system is it needs to be easier to turn it into a class because I wish I could just save that specialist. I'm not ever using my medic loadout unless I'm using that specialist. 
basically. Mm -hmm. So I wish, and I've heard this, I watched a Westie video recently that suggested this. They need to organize specialists into classes and let you save them as classes to force more specialist class making so it's more team play oriented. But otherwise, it's funny, this morning I played a battle. Everyone was reviving each other, throwing down ammo and playing like it was a class game. And okay. I think as time goes on, people will turn more into class-based play. But at first it was confusing. And not for without reason, the specialist system is not very well organized, though. Like, the menu is... I, I think they need to tweak the menu on that, but I think at its core, it's not broken at all, and I actually enjoy it. I just think they need to make it more obvious how you use it as a class, because it really is just a different take on the class system. Medics are still there, machine gun, all, all of those old classes you liked are still there. It's just not as intuitive to play as them, and they need to fix that. Mm. I know you haven't played nearly as much as me, though. Yeah, I, I have some interesting Let's get into performance that now, glitches. Then. Yeah. I mean, I can't play the game because I aim up every six seconds. With so. a controller. But yeah. you use controller, and also you use it because you like to drive vehicles a lot, too, which we're using a controller for vehicles, guys. I, it's happened to me using a mouse, though. You can. I, I know there are going to be people that are like, keyboard and mouse, get good. I hate first-person shooters on a keyboard and mouse, so I'm never going to play them with mm -hmm. a keyboard and mouse. So a, and there are, more <laughs> like, I don't people, like it. there are more people that play that way than you guys would expect in Battlefield. Especially because, unlike Call of Duty, you probably should use a keyboard and mouse because of how twitchy it is. But Battlefield, you're jumping between vehicles. It, it works to use a... Uh, and they let you really tweak the analog sticks to the point that it's far more accurate than most games with a controller as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like older Far Cries were horrible. I didn't use a controller for older Far Cries because it's just... You're not going to hit anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I can say that I've had this glitch, and I think I've seen some people with keyboard and mouse have this too, where their character just randomly looks up or down out of nowhere. I played this morning. It was worse on one map. You were right, like you were saying, than others. But it happens to be like once a battle, and oh, never when I'm fighting for some reason. Yeah, I mean... It happened once when I was fighting for the first time today. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's incredibly annoying, and they better fix the issue soon because I'm going to return the game if they don't. Yeah, so I guess that's what I would say is... It's a very mixed bag when it comes to the issues the game has, right? Because it's like, for me, I don't have really... I had a bunch of controller problems getting activated at first, but then I just launched the game from Steam on my desktop. I haven't had an issue just booting it up and jumping into a game for a week. It's very easy for me to quickly play a game now. Mm -hmm. It wasn't at launch, though, and you're having tons of issues. And I think it just depends because there are sometimes server lag, there's but it's getting better. There's sometimes hit, hit registry issues, but it's getting better. And it's certainly better than any old Battlefield I played. So I think compared to the competition, it definitely has some server issues to work out. But compared to older Battlefields, people forget how glitchy those were, actually. And I think that's the thing problem DICE needs to seriously get a handle on uh, at some point, because DICE, you can't... It's been every game since, what, Battlefield 3. You can't release a broken game every time, Dice. Mm -hmm. You are losing goodwill with some people every time. We you know what the that. funny thing is? I feel like it works better than Call of Duty does lately for us. Well, Call of Duty's broken. Yeah, well, it's so broken now. The Yeah, like the... I, I don't understand, like, how this is even allowed on, their, on stores where you have a game that's not... You, so Call of Duty is essentially five games now because <laughs> yeah. all of their games yeah modern from, warfare 
Black what? Ops, Cold War, Warzone, and Vanguard. No, it's, so it's four. Four. Four yeah. games. So it's essentially four games are now packaged into one because all of them need to interact with Warzone. So you need to have files from every game to uh, download it if you want to just play one of them mm-hmm. because they all have to work in Warzone. For and and I was explaining this to our friend Brock that basically, okay, look, to be fair, you can play just online with 140 gigabytes, but you have to make sure you have the latest patch with Call of Duty patches are 80 gigabytes usually now. And then you have to go into the game itself, at least on console. I know you have to manage it on PC as well and choose the packs you want to install. So you basically have to babysit this install. Half the time, the patch breaks all of your files and you need to delete the whole game and reinstall 140 gigabytes. And that's 140 gigabytes and you can't play the single player. You have to download another 20 gigabytes or something for that. And uh, they've essentially turned their old games into advertisements for their new games, which is... Like, I, I... Straight up think that's... I don't want to play Vanguard. I want to play Modern Warfare. Like, I, I hate... I, I always hate the... Um, well, it depends on the argument. The, but the false advertising... I think there's, like, legitimately, like... Uh, this is the game I bought, and for some reason you guys are now constantly pushing this other stuff on me. And I can't avoid it. Why Did I buy the product I bought? Because it doesn't seem like I did. Yeah, I know. And so I guess, and it's funny, uh, I told, I was telling that file size to Brock, and then I told him, he's like, well, then what does Battlefield take up? It has, like, <laughs> multiple games, basically, as well, and, like, 13 or more maps and tons of game modes, and I and you were pretty surprised by this, too. I'm like, oh, it's 48 gigabytes. So I guess that's it's kind manageable. of... manageable. What, what I'm kind of getting to is Battlefield 2042 has issues right now, like, basically every Battlefield game doesn't launch, but... I'm not defending it. I'm just pointing out the other shooters we've been playing have had tons of issues as well. Unfortunately, it seems like you got to pick your poison to a certain extent. And for me, this poison is not as much of an issue, but for you, it was. But I think I'm going to try to see if we can fix it while you're here. But yeah, I, I guess I would point that out, that Call of Duty, at least for me, isn't working very well anymore. And um, remember, you can buy this on Steam and return it. Yeah. And then you can buy it again if you want to wait for half a year for it to be patched. Yeah. So that's what I would tell overall to this long answer. But I have a lot to say about Battlefield. We're long-term Battlefield fans since Battlefield 2. So Demazria's question is, don't forget you can buy this, and I bet you'll like it. And yeah. if you don't, you can return it. On Origin as well, but Steam makes it easier. And I recommend the Steam version in general. All right. Final reader mail. Laws writes in, Hi, Tom. What is your opinion on EA closing down many of the studios they buy? Is EA actually closing down more studios than most, or do people exaggerate this due to disliking EA? If they do, what is the reason? Are they trying to force their way of making games onto many studios and does it not always work, or do they only buy the studios to keep the best IP and programmers expecting to close them down later? I don't think they do that intentionally, unless it's obvious intentionally. Um, I, I think, I don't know. I, like, didn't Isn't Activision forcing some sequel to a game that shouldn't have a sequel. What was it called? Uh, Overwatch. Overwatch. So Activision does that laws. Most of these, what do I think of EA questions is they certainly screw up all the time. And I don't know how much of Battlefield 2042's issues aren't that they wouldn't let them launch it in December. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe DICE wanted or delay it to February and they're like, no. Because they do notice that. EA seems to insist everything comes out the quarter it comes out. That's Which, true. If you're a stockholder, you might respect that. And Ubisoft seems way more willing to delay games and like get yeah. them right when they come out. Although 
Certainly, without not without problems sometimes. <laughs> but that's kind of what I'm saying is it seems like all of these companies screw up a lot. Although I guess Ubisoft, I don't know them to close that many studios. Ubisoft has a different structure, though, where they're more like um, like a Square Enix where their teams aren't as... like. If you want to look into it, I, I think you can. But like their teams don't seem to be as clearly delineated as no. other studios. Like, they have like 2,000 person teams. Yeah, where like Sony, you clearly know which studio is making every game. Yeah. Um, and Activision, you clearly know which studio is making every game. Yeah. Generally, I think there's a couple support studios that... Well, there's support studios that every company works for that nobody ever pays attention to. But Right. But... Um, you you know the the head one or two studios in any game every game that like Activision, Sony, Microsoft puts out, uh, Ubisoft it's a little more obfuscated. I feel like where it's just like this is a Ubisoft published game and it's like, like this model our Montreal team made it or something. But they yeah. don't their their teams don't have as much of an identity as other studios. I was do. a guest I had on a recent Broken Silicon who's in North Carolina. He has worked on. Ghost Recons, The Division Two, mm-hmm. all these, and he's in North Carolina. Yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah, I got. Oh yeah, I guess I, I've never really thought about that. I didn't. Really... No, like he did like the modeling of tanks. And, yeah, like... I, did, I, did, I guess I didn't think about that. I didn't realize they had a team in North Carolina. I always mm-hmm. think of them as being in Canada, Canada or France. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I guess though to get back to the original question, I I think we can say EA is more notorious than the others. Yeah, I. I, I... It, it, for, to some extent, I wonder if it's like the McDonald's thing where it's like they're not necessarily doing anything worse than all the other companies. It's just they're the biggest, so people notice. Well, let me look it up. EA's market cap. Activision's bigger than EA. So I guess the only thing I can say about EA is, here's always my answer. I like Battlefield, but it's not always perfect. And I've liked games like, I don't know, what else is there? I mean, they published so many games that I've liked, but yes, they've also closed other studios, but I'm glad those games they made existed. Yeah, I do think they're the most notorious for closing studios, but Sony's closed Guerrilla Cambridge after making Kills on Mercenary, as far as I can tell, for no good reason. And It's not like other people don't do this. I'm trying to think. Unless I'm missing... EA hasn't closed a studio in a while, though, have they? Oh, I don't remember. There there was the, the, like, period PS3 era where they closed a lot of studios, and I think it's just... People that were playing, that were become getting into video games at that time, you know, are like thirteen years old now at that time, and now they're in their twenties or thirties and online and online and annoyed that their favorite studio that made I don't know Mercenaries got closed. But that's the thing too is Mercenaries too, for example. I I just don't know if there's a studio closing game to exist. That's one of them. Exactly like, though, it's it, like they're mad they killed Pandemic. Well, Mercenaries two fucking sucked. Yeah. You know, they're they're mad what's happening with Bioware. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, they also fumbled. I mean, they've made two bad games in a row now. Yeah, and, and so, uh, and I know it's like, well, they forced them to use Frostbite to make it. I, you know, that's probably an issue. I agree. But also, they fumbled it pretty bad. And I don't see how it, there was more than just using, I, you know, so I think it's both. I, I think the fact is EA has a ton of studios. They have a ton of studios. And they're less afraid to close a studio than maybe other people are. Half of that's probably their own mismanagement. Yeah. But the other half is Mercenaries 2 had more than a few issues, guys, where they should be rewarded for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, a company like BioWare, I don't 
think they're going to get shut down, but if they make another game that's uh, another Mass Effect Andromeda, or, I'm going to be honest, I can't even remember the name of that game that they put out after Andromeda right now. But no, it's at the tip of my tongue, but I know what you mean. If yeah. they make another one of those, th- th- I think they are at risk for being shut down because they've had nothing but bad output for 10 years. So, yeah, I guess what can I say? I think there's a legitimate argument that EA is the most notorious because they do. They do yeah. close the most, and, and they deserve to have some more dislikes. Well, I don't know if they deserve it or not. That's another old discussion. And that's where a lot of the dislike comes from. Um, as for like, if they're doing this to try to force or do now they're doing it because they did the math and they're like, it would be cheaper for us to close the studio and buy a new one and, yeah. and like keep the IP than it would be for these guys to just waffle around and make another game that doesn't work, you know? And I mean, dice has certainly fumbled a few games and they haven't been closed. So they still sell all generally though. Yeah, so I guess that's the thing, though, is it's not like they always close a studio. You know, it's just, you know, they they definitely are more notorious for doing it, and I actually think it's up for debate when it's been bad and good. Because I, I understand, like, you guys got to understand, like, some of the blame goes to the people who fucked up the game themselves. Like, always blaming the publisher is ridiculous, you know. They're funding it, and, like, what are they supposed to say? Oh, yeah, just keep lollygagging. <laughs> but it seems like it happens more often at EA, so there's probably some mismanagement going on. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. All right, well, guys, that's going to do it for this video. I mean, I hope you guys... Video. Podcast, maybe video. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you know, I guess the final thing we'll do is if this does become a video version... Dan, back up and get Wendy on screen here. It's been Wendy. like... She was in, like, a CD key offers ad a year and a half ago. Why are you scared now? Don't let her hit the mic down. <laughs> Wendy, Bendy. Wendy. Wendy. Yes, she's Massachusetts doggy here. Um, but anyway, so we've got a dinner to go to. This will, of course, when you guys are listening to this, this will come out right before Thanksgiving. We've made sure we got it out as we always do every week. There will be another Broken Silicon the next week. And uh, I don't know, Dan, any final words? No, I don't think so. She's been a good dog for this podcast recording, though, right? She's been okay. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. 
Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Mellon, Telus, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Alkwari, Frederick Lau, MetroCore, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil Est, E31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jeskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Goody, the Mechanical Philosopher, Lee Wilkin Kilo, Fatboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, a guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GO6, Matthew Landabazo, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan214, John Jameson, Sam Benzel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrans, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Diggle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silas, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S.G. Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Olenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dane Galinowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Slayton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Denovan Russell, Noah Nicoella, Zlicky, Martin Porcheggi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulan, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy Show, Mitchell Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malab, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, Mike Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman... William W. Draper, Errat, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Rochief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy N.G., Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV Couteau, Aaron John Wissink, Mohamed Jean DeBont, Pulse Media, Sean Ashment, Daniel Dewar, Stephen Zhang, JSMMH, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.